even though I don't have to protect myself from something physical, I'm protecting myself from that, what I feel. There's a little danger here. Let me tighten my shoulders and maybe round my shoulders forward a little bit to protect myself. And it, it keeps adding up. The more we don't listen, the more we don't tune in and listen and respond. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. The beginning of wisdom isn't knowing what's right. It's being able to discern true from false, allowing cherished beliefs to die a natural death, and to have the capacity to sit in the deep water of emotion that connects us all together, so that beyond opinion and belief, it's possible to glimpse how suffering and joy makes us more alike than different. Part of wisdom is recognizing that the fight isn't out there in the world, but in our own heart and mind, and with our shadowy confusion and pain, to realize that what you thought you'd die for is killing you, and to finally lay to rest the tantrum of decades. Wisdom is the recognition that there's much that comes to us that's not our fault. Experiences unbidden and unasked for, and yet, we are completely responsible for our actions and response. To recognize that understanding causes is important, but blame is a counterproductive poison that only serves to feed resentment and prop up the false gods of superiority and entitlement. Part of wisdom might be that we recognize we inhabit an intermingled world of cooperation and competition, and that things go better when you know which game to play. Another part is recognizing that knowledge is nothing without action, that knowing can be an obstruction to clear observation. Knowledge accumulates, but wisdom disperses. It doesn't care so much about opinion, especially our own. It has the failures of years to temper the strident stance of righteousness. Wisdom is comfortable simmering on the question of is that so? And it's curious about how things truly do transform into their opposites and how unexpected that seems and how quickly it can happen. Wisdom takes I don't know as a starting place and not an ending place. Wisdom knows the easiest person to fool is ourselves and we easily fall for it time and again. It recognizes that we're all destined to end up with a big bag of shadow, sorrow for the troubles we've caused, regret for chances not courageously taken, and dismay at all the opportunities we've allowed ourselves to be talked out of, imagining that we could look good in someone else's eyes. Wisdom comes from knowing the errors of hubris, immaturity, and ignorance, neither letting ourselves off the hook nor torturously using it as a reminder to impede forward motion. All the great traditions speak of forgiveness as a way of recognizing the past that couldn't have been other than it was, and that holding the limiting story of that experience, it does nothing but impede the next cycle of unfoldment. Wisdom does not call attention to itself. It's like the still water beneath the beautiful breaking waves that so easily catch the attention. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. 
Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, The Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I feel like today's guest needs no introduction. If you've listened to the podcast in the past, 
you've likely heard a conversation with Margot Rossi. She's been a guest here before, and she was the first person to introduce me to acupuncture. So you're about to catch a snippet of a conversation that's gone on for a long, long time now. As with so many of the conversations here on Sheological, I start out with a topic, an idea. I wanted to discuss with Margot how limitations and containers are needed to drive any process of creativity and change, but our discussion quickly went in a different direction. And I trust those currents that move through us and take us places that we'd not have chosen with whatever limited understanding sets us off on a voyage of discovery. I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation with Margot as much as I did. Let's get into it. Recordings in progress. All right, y'all, buckle up. Margot Rossi's in the house. Margot, here we are in Geological. What are we talking about today? Well, you tell me limits, boundaries, containers, and transformation. And when you said that, I wanted to get up and leave. <laughs> Ooh, say more about that. That's huge. That's huge. And it's very exciting to consider. And I just need to feel myself on the ground because that's a big boundary line and container. The ground is a boundary line and container. Mm -hmm. And then we have the unlimited sky above. Oh, okay. Grindstone of heaven and earth is what you're saying. <laughs> Precisely. Wait, say that again? Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, heaven is unbounded. I mean, it's really, it's a nice concept, but I think ultimately terrifying to the human mind. Yeah. Okay. Anything's possible, which sounds nice on the surface. And, the, and then you actually have eternity start to blow in your face and it, <laughs> it's a little disorienting. Yeah, I noticed that when I teach my movement classes, mm. many times we start with just tuning into noticing that we're sitting on the earth or somehow connected to the ground and supported by it. Mm -hmm. And it's steady and firm, immense, solid, you know, as long as you're not living on the, you know, Pacific Coast fault it's, line. <laughs> well, it's mostly solid. Mostly solid. You know, Taiwan shakes on a regular basis, but it's mostly solid. Yeah. Yeah. You can really count on it. Generally speaking. Generally speaking. Yeah. And then when, when the invitation comes to tune into the breathing and how it connects us to heaven, mm. I admit, I have a little moment like what you were just saying. It's a little scary. All those possibilities, so etheric, always changing. That coming back to the boundary and support of the earth is very reassuring. So you, having both of those things in mind, the solid, firm earth, mm -hmm. and this etheric, changeable, endless possibility of heaven, and then here you are at that intersection between the two. Having that boundary is really important it, to me, 
to mm. me. I'm sure. I wonder, and I would love to speak with them. There may be people who are really reassured by that etheric, ungraspable quality of heaven. I'm not one of those. <laughs> it's hard to make a pastrami sandwich if you don't have some kind of grounding in this earth realm. <laughs> it's hard to have an ego. It's hard to have the, the what it takes to be able to have a life. The comings and goings of, you know, the yin side of the, the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have spirit. Yeah, we have chi. We have energy that moves it all. Um, but look at anyone. Well, I mean, look at people who have, you know, very serious mental health issues and are not on the ground at all. They're talking word salad. They can't make sense to themselves or anybody else. Um, that's that's That might be just a little too much heaven. I don't know. I'm not a mental health expert, but we're just, yeah. you know, we're kind of exploring this thing. And... You know, the thing I wanted to talk with you about, and, and, you know, all joking aside, although we're probably going to have some fun with this anyway, knowing us, <laughs> lim limits and boundaries and containers, as much as we like to fight against them, or if you got a teenager in the house, you know, you, you, you're at, that's actively being pushed on. That's their job. Yeah. But these are essential. And in the healing realm which is where you and I spend a lot of our time, people need a container and a safe container at that, some kind of boundedness so they have a safe place where it is possible to unravel and reconstitute yourself. And you look at any kind of stories of alchemy or images of alchemy, you know, transformative change, there's always some kind of a cooker in there, mm -hmm. right? There's a fire yeah. and there's a container. That container has really been my, um, my laboratory and mm. my realm of exploration these past few years because I'm, I have been for many decades so in, in love with movement. And, of course, I can't can't really have the kind of movement that really enthralls me without having a body. So mm -hmm. even though my, um, my energy wants to move in a particular way, it's really my body that gives me so much pleasure and joy in its expression of that energy. And that's, that's been something, I don't know, Michael, if you, I know you interviewed Alice Wielden at one time. Mm -hmm. I think on your podcast, I talked to her twice. There's two. Oh, there's two conversations up on the. Oh, I'm so uh, far behind. Uh, but that practice of Katsugen, the spontaneous movement. Are you familiar with that? I am not. Okay. That goes along with Seiki, which is, I'm sure, what she's talked about. She talked about a lot of different things. So. For the last two years, I think since actually maybe we're three years now in COVID. I don't know how many years we're in COVID, but when when COVID started, I started practicing Katsugen with Alice. And it's uh, it's basically a practice where you tune, you learn how to tune your sensitivity to energy. And of course, this container of the body is key to that. 
this is how we this is this is our antenna how we receive the information of energy through this container and as you begin to tune into the energy within yourself and the energy within your space which is another container mm -hmm. uh, your body starts to move or maybe it begins to quiet and settle or maybe it wants a sandwich and you go get that <laughs> well quieting and settling is a kind of movement isn't it yeah 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 for sure that grounding coming back to earth absolutely so what's it been like for you yeah it's been so the in these two years of doing it at least once a week well in the beginning it was just once a week now i find myself spontaneously moving i was at the dentist a couple of weeks ago and i was way in between you know the hygienist and seeing the dentist and Instead of just sitting there in the chair, I just tuned in to heaven and earth and myself. And I didn't mean to do this, but I got up and just started kind of moving around the space that I was in. And of course, <laughs> they kept checking on me like, ma'am, are you okay? <laughs> and I was just moving around in there, but it felt so good. So it felt so so good to just explore that space that I was in and I maybe I'm sounding like a mad woman but it has been truly transformational to feel the container of my body sense the energy in it the energy in the space around me and just go with it and I think it's made me feel so much happier than I've been in a long time I think it's really helped me mentally. It's helped my mental health. You use the phrase body as antenna. Okay, so that gets my attention. Like, oh, well, that, that's interesting. I usually think about using my hands because that's, that's when I'm really tuning in to other people and myself and my space. It's when I'm working. And, and so I think more about using my hands, you know, feeling my feet on the ground in some kind of emotive way attending to the feeling in the room, but body as antenna, like, oh, wait a minute, that, that would give you a lot more surface area to work with. Yeah. Right? And the sense of body, skin, whatever you want to call it, as container, there's one container, you're within a, in a room, that's another kind of container. Maybe you're within a, you know, a relationship, that's another kind of container. And what does it feel like? And how do you move? And, and how do you know what's authentic movement? Yeah, that's a that that is a question, isn't it? It's a question for me. Yeah. Am I moving because I think I should move this way? Am I moving because my neck hurts? Am I moving because Margo said try moving? <laughs> you know, I I always have trouble in yoga classes when the teacher says take a nice deep cleansing breath, and my first thought is shut up. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do with my breath. I'm just I'm really a cantankerous fellow. But again, movement and what's authentic. Did that breath come from me? Is it coming because someone told me? And I'm, you know, we're, we're joking a bit about this. But I really want to put that, that question back to you of, of how you know that the movement you have, the experience that you're having is authentic. Yes, this is, um, so once a week I teach 
I've taught for these last couple of years, this practice of katsugen. And that comes up, that question, how do I know? Or how, especially for people who are just starting, you know that uh, it makes me think of that energy matter continuum, um, the Taoist energy matter continuum. I learned this from Heiner Fruhoff, that we begin with this consciousness that's given this name Tao. And then from the Tao comes energy, from the energy comes an idea, from the idea starts to take shape and form. And then that form reflects back to the Tao. So when we're speaking of this movement, sometimes to begin, you just have an idea. And maybe it's an idea from the past. Oh, this is how they move in a Qigong class. You start to sway side to side or you begin to bounce up and down. Maybe that's what I should do because I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't feel anything spontaneously happening. So you just begin some, somewhere. You start at some starting point. And it may be intentional and it might be from a thought or a memory that you begin. But the more you practice, something else starts to happen. And the movement begins to have its own, the energy starts to have its, its idea of how it wants to move. And then it begins to take shape. And it's pretty awesome. I don't, I've had, <laughs> I've had people come to the session and then afterwards say, I don't know what the hell that was about, but that was not, that was, I'm not into that. And I've also had a couple of people who are now, I would say my energy buddies, they've been coming every week for two years. And for both of them, it's a trans, it's been a transformative practice for them to explore their container, move and feel the limitation of their ability to move. Mm -hmm. And yet within that, there is so much freedom of their energy, or they can discover where their energy feels a little blocked inside themselves, like that neck ache that you just mentioned. Am I moving it because I have neck pain? Well, maybe, maybe that energy wants to move. If in its stuckness, it's seeking liberation. And so then you start moving your head around is it you or is it the energy? It ultimately doesn't matter, I don't think. Well, I'm thinking about the kinds of tension that we all carry in our bodies. I don't mean tension in a bad way. We all need a certain kind of tensegrity for our systems really to work well. I went, I went sailing with a buddy uh, recently, past couple of weeks. Oh. Um, yeah, really fun, these little racing boats. They're just really fun and they got all kinds of lines and pulleys and this that and the other thing and before you get the sails up and you get everything you get like the rig under its proper sailing tension it's just all these lines it's like a spaghetti factory it's just a big mess you know it's like what where do these things go and what are they here for and blah 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 but you, you get the sails up and you get everything with the right tension on it that it's supposed to have and, and you see where everything goes this goes here this goes there this controls this this controls that but you need the tension for it to have its liveliness. Right? I saw this in the boat and I was thinking, this is how long I've been doing Chinese medicine, right? You see something like in a sailboat and you go, wow, human bodies like that. There's places that should have a certain kind of tension. If they're too tight, that's a problem. If they're too loose, also a problem. 
and I hear patients, you know, you put a few needles in, they go, wow, you know, I noticed that my shoulder is so tight. It's like, that's right. You're noticing the tightness in your shoulder. You know, did the acupuncture cause that? No, no. The acupuncture helped you recognize that your shoulder was tight. Now you have awareness of the tensegrity of your body. It's there for a reason. What's coming to mind is a yawn. You know how when you stretch in a yawn, there's so much resistance in that? Like you're opening up, but you're also resisting that movement. And then the result of that is so relaxing. I don't think of yawns as being resisted against. Try it. You know, when you, it's not like you open your arms out like this when you yawn. There's a kind of, I take it, a, a yawn for me is a complete release. There is no tension. It's tension melting away. Yes. Yes. Can I invite you to try it? <laughs> Fake yawn. Right yeah. It's good for your vagus nerve. Stretch your, use your arms too. Oh, my back cracks. <laughs> well, in that movement. Uh -huh. in the, okay, so I get it. The movement, there's something else when I bring the arms in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a little tension in there. And then the release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it reminds me too of when I was learning about the sinew channels from, mm. from Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. He taught us a way of manually working with the body to, to give the body the experience of more freedom. So one thing that he said was to observe. So for example, let's say, I, let's say I'm lying down and I have my feet standing on the ground. You're lying down with your feet standing on the ground? Yes. Yeah, so my knees are pointing up in the air. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And I want to open my knees apart. Mm. So for some of us, we can go so far that the backs of the knees will land on, or the sides of the knees will land on the ground. And for others, it, we might just be able to open those knees apart and in, you know, a few inches apart from each other, mm -hmm. depending on what's happening in our hips and thighs. So he invited us into this concept of thinking in the absence of any intervention, what will happen with this movement in the future? And the assumption is less and less movement will be available to that person. So he called that the direction of the future. Mm. And then the other, of course, is the direction of the past when we were babies. It was so limber, very easy and open. And uh, his invitation was to Give some resistance. Ask, the, ask your client to move as if to try to open your knee, their knees up. But you provide resistance to them. You give them tension that they have to push against to try to make that movement. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it's a little more complicated than that. But the simple version is in giving them something to resist. What the result is they actually get more freedom to open up. And you can see that just within doing that three or four times with them in that space, in that session. So yeah, that's just a, another total agreement with what you're saying about the how important tension is to help the system function better. 
everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Exactly. And we need it just to stand up. Yes. You need a certain yes. amount of <laughs> muscle tone to be able to stand and balance and be in relationship to gravity. Yeah, but not too much. A lot less than I think we think we need, or not even that we think we need it. It's a lot less than what our body has been trained to use. It doesn't need all the tension that we've trained it to use. Mm. So how is it that we train all this tension into ourselves? Because if I hear that, we, if I hear this correctly, as you say, we train some tension into ourselves, then we're putting some limits on ourselves. Yeah. We talk about boundaries, limits, containers. So we're putting some limits on ourselves. How, how's that helpful? I think what happens, I'm not very good at carpentry. But I have a lot of tools because my father was a woodworker and my husband is too. I got a lot of tools available to me. And one thing my father always said was use the right tool for the job. Don't, don't try to use a different tool to do the job you want to do. Right tool for the right job. Yeah. That's what they taught us in shop class in the eighth grade. Yes. <laughs> Did they really? Oh, yeah. Mr. Bicell, he had this like, you know, flat top haircut. Right tool for the right job, boys. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's how he talked. Right tool for the right job, boys. Were there, were there only boys in your class? <laughs> Shop class in the 1970s. Come on. Okay. Okay. I took I took shop class in the 1970s. Well, I think I was the only girl. <laughs> But anyway, yes, the right tool for the right job. <laughs> um, I don't always follow that rule because I, I can be impatient <laughs> and I don't want to walk down to the shop to get the right tool. So I'll just go in my handy dandy drawer of tools, the girl drawer, the, the me, me drawer, my drawer. Don't you touch my tools. <laughs> I go to my drawer and I'll pick out a tool that I think is close enough. Uh-huh. And then I'll start to apply it to the job at hand. Uh -huh. And being the way I am, I will force things. I will force that tool to do what I want, even though it's not the right tool for the job. And often it ends in disaster. It, it won't work and I'll just be more frustrated. 
And I think we do that with our bodies. We, we make our bodies work in such a way that's really not attuned to them properly. Like, and I think that comes from not learning how to pay attention to ourselves, to listen to our energy, to notice our own form and shape, and to be realistic about what it can do. What can this body do in the shape, size, the way it relates to space and the rest of the world? What can it really do? My mind might want it to do something else. The world might want it to do something else, but that's not really who I am. It's not authentic movement. I think that's part of, I mean, certainly the patients that I have who have physical pain, they're either doing something they really hate to do they're not happy with their life or their job. They're forcing themselves to fit into something that doesn't really work for them. So I think all that tension has to do with we're not really, we haven't really learned how to pay attention to ourselves and honor, honor what's right for us. We're trying to plug into a world in a particular way, but it doesn't really fit. What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I think there's well, there's a lot to unpack with that. So first, having a job that you really don't like, but you're doing it day in and day out, that is very um, onerous. And, and it, it's a lot of strain on the spirit. Yes. Right? It, 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 I think about jobs that I... Well, actually, okay, so I'm, I'm not a good example <laughs> because I'm going to say, I think about jobs that I hated for years, but I've never had jobs that I hated for years, yeah. ever, never. Had jobs like, oh God, I got to go to work, you know, do this. The worst jobs I've had, I've lasted maybe a month in and I just couldn't, it's just like, fuck this, right? Yeah. And, and, and usually what would happen is I, I, I'd think to myself, well, I thought that might be a good idea. This job is not a solution to the problem I have. I'm making some money right now, but I know this for sure. I need a better job, and that means I might need more skills. I'm going to need to do something with my life. I might even need to fundamentally change my life. Yeah. Because what I'm doing here ain't working. And I look at the people around me in those jobs. Some of them are on medications because of job-related injuries, chemicals, or... Um, you know, just using your body for a long time in ways that are difficult. And, you know, mm -hmm. plus, well, I hate this job anyway. And, you, and then you, you go to bear that, you throw that into your physiology. I've never been able to do that. I, I have not had the constitution to be able to do something that didn't somehow hold my interest. And so mm -hmm. I had to uh, go develop whatever my interest was. And I'm lucky for me, I'm still getting away with it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I haven't had that kind of job, but I have seen, but I know people that, that have had that kind of job because they're miserable and they're kind of hunched over, they got a scowl on their face and, you know, they're pushing through for some reason that they think they need to, or maybe they got a family to support. They don't see other options or they're not willing to take the risk of, I'm just going to let this go away. I don't know what's coming, but it'll be different than this. And, and that's a good thing. So, so that's one piece. The other piece is, I mean, the work that we do is our movement in the world. 
Yeah. Okay. I've never had those words go through my mind in that order before. <laughs> the work we do is our movement in the world. And so if there's some kind of authenticity to what we're doing and how we're doing it and who we are, that work can really unfold. Yeah. And if we're constantly fighting it, it it's like you're dragging a 20-pound weight behind yeah. you. Yeah. It's too much tension. Yeah. And you can drag a 20-pound weight behind you for a while, but at a certain point, it, it'll break you. Yeah. Well, you'll just have to harden yourself up in a certain way. Limit your motion. There we go. We're, we're, we're back to that. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, care that extra ten having more tension than what's going to make your ship sail mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can be, for many of my patients, it's work. For all of my patients, it's our relationships, whether it's relationship to each other or relationship to our work or relationship to our environment. I mean... We can carry a lot of tension, too much tension around based on our relationships that that are difficult, that we don't know how to resource ourselves to shift them, that we feel stuck in, or like you said, that we're doing for some particular reason, including safety, because, I mean... When the earth shakes, it's pretty scary. You know, having having your foundation, something that has been steady and the same for us time over time, it is scary when we shake that foundation, when it's time to move on to something else. And deeply disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to come back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier. I'm thinking about you in the dentist office. <laughs> <laughs> My God, yeah, Margo. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's that acupuncture chick. Yeah. She's that weird lady. She's that weird lady. We love her. She's very nice, harmless. You know. It was the first time I went to that dentist too. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what, New dentist. Whatever capacity you have to let yourself flow in whatever situation, like, all right, you've you've developed something there. Yeah, um, I was inspired by. Um, a friend, Maria Ilgin, who's, she's actually translating Nick's book, Words That Touch, into German. Mm. Um, and she and I were practicing Katsugen together during, you know, the height of COVID. And she told me, she told the group one day, she said, oh, I, I just am Katsugen. I, it's not that I do it. I just am it. She, and I'm in the plaza. She lives in Berlin. I'm in the plaza and I just start moving around and people are looking at me like, oh my gosh, what is going on? But that's what my energy wanted to do. Anyway, she inspired me. So yeah. I was channeling Maria in the dentist office. There, there we go. Okay. And that, and that takes a certain amount of courage or a certain amount of uh, practice with uh, Katsukan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Katsukan. Yeah. Katsukan. So I, I love this idea. I'm not going to do it in public in the beginning, but <laughs> at least I don't think I will, of, uh, of maybe practicing this a bit. I mean, I like the idea of, well, how would my body move if I wasn't thinking about how my body should move? Right. How would my body move if just let it kind of dance through the tensions it has to let it unwind itself? Yeah. Right? Like 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 dancing in a way. Yes. And what if I used my my physical structure as a kind of antenna 
to interface outer world, inner world. How might that want me to move? And I can see that being a helpful practice in terms of having my entire body being a more sensitive um, instrument, mm-hmm. for a better word. And I could see how that might be helpful in all kinds of situations, especially if you're able to sense something with your, with your being without using your other senses, without having to use your eyes or your ears, maybe you'd be more sensitive. I'm thinking in clinic for one, that might be yeah. helpful. But I'm also thinking in, in the crazy wackadoodle world we're living in right now, maybe it keeps you out of a dangerous situation. Maybe you walk into a place and your, and your body goes, ooh, ooh. Yeah. And like, yeah, no, not here. We've all had the experience. I don't think anyone has not had the experience. You walk into a room where someone's been having an argument, where something's gone down. You walk in and you're like, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm leaving. Yeah, we feel something. We don't know what it is. We might not be able to put words to it, but some something has come into our field of awareness that lets us gives us a particular sensation. And then, like you, you get the hell out of there. But other people will sh- shut that down. You know, they'll notice that feeling of not safe. Mm-hmm. or whatever it is and then they won't leave they'll stay they'll stay there so they'll, they'll they'll shut down what their body just told them what their antenna just get information their antenna just gave them okay so this helps to answer the question where this might be a piece of the question i asked you earlier mm-hmm. how's that these tensions get into our body well maybe you walk into that room and You want to be in that room because you think you're supposed to be in that room. But everything in you is saying, get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe you tense something up so you don't feel it. Or or the other option is to go loose so you also can't feel it. Yeah. Right? Disassociate or shut down in some way. I I could see how that might happen. Yeah. And time and time again, that tension, without being recognized invited to release any amount Mm -hmm. it tends to pile up so that unintegrated knowing that we might have walking into that room i don't feel safe but i'm going to stay here but i'm going to get a little tight in my shoulders as a way to protect myself even though i don't have to protect myself from something physical i'm protecting myself from that what i feel there's a little danger here let me tighten my shoulders and mm-hmm. maybe round my shoulders forward a little bit to protect myself. And it, it keeps adding up. The more we don't listen, the more we don't tune in and listen and respond really spontaneously mm-hmm. without any judgment or um, talking ourselves into something else. When it arises spontaneously, we don't have to carry that tension around. We can let it go. It's like animals, you know, after they experience something bracing, they shake mm-hmm. quite now. Na- I mean, all animals do that. They'll do some kind of shaking. Yes. Well, we have it in our language as well. If you, if you have something happen, you get hit or you have an injury or like some emotional whatever, a common thing that you'll hear is, hey, you know, shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. 
It's in our language. Yeah. We know this is true. We don't necessarily do it. That happens a lot in Katsugan. You see a lot of shaking. A lot of shaking. And I think it's just trying to get move that energy that's gotten piled up and stuck. But that's very that happens quite spontaneously, is the shaking. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna come back to this. See, how do I tease this apart? So, uh, so we have these we have these um, physiological experiences. We have an experience inside our skin, a sensation of some sort. And I, I think it's very, I, I'm looking at my own life and I'm thinking about my patients and I'm just watching how my mind works. And I think it's very difficult, at least for me. And, may, you know, listeners out there, if you, if this is you as well, I'd love to know. Maybe I'm just a weirdo here, but it's very difficult to have a sensation without immediately slapping a story on it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult to have a sensation and just go, ooh, sensation. And what else is there? And Oh, it's this. And oh, it's that. And, and to follow it without making sense of it. Thinking of the talking heads all of a sudden, right? Great album. Stop making sense. <laughs> Agreed. Right? How do you stay with your primary sensate experience mm-hmm. and keep that story machine out of it? Because the story machine is what keeps us in the room when we shouldn't be there. Oh, yeah. And it takes us into all kinds of different lands that we really might not want to end up in either. Uh, there's that. The story machine. Yeah. So when I'm teaching class and we're moving and we come to rest, I'll often invite people to just notice as they tune in, if there are any sensations, if there are any sensations in the body and would they like to attend to that sensation? So let's say it's an ache in my knee. I just did some movement. I'm noticing an ache in my knee and sure I can say, Oh, there's an ache in my knee. You know, I, spent so much time backpacking when I was younger and I had chondromalacia as a kid and I had growing pains and now I've got this knee thing and it was a torn meniscus, blah, blah, blah. There's my story. But where does, where does that take me? Really nowhere. That's very useful. Certainly not into a resolution. But if I go to that achy knee pain and I think, well, whereabouts exactly is that ache? Oh, it's, it's right here. Okay. And then we, I, I'll invite students to explore with some clean questions. And does that ache have a size or a shape? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it feels like it's triangular, but it's got spikes on it. Got it it kind of looks like coronavirus. <laughs> and is there anything else about that ache? You know, so just to start to tease apart with some really open-ended questions mm-hmm. about that particular sensation. And then what often comes up is some kind of metaphor, like, like for me just then and making that up. Oh, it, it kind of has a shape of coronavirus. Is there anything else about that? It's been a really stressful year. I have spent a lot of time sitting, which I know has not been good for me, you know, and then it starts to unpack, well, gee, if 
Maybe sitting has something to do with that ache in my knee. Well, that I can do something about. Mm -hmm. So that's one way that I like to unpack when I start to notice, when I start to listen to what's happening in the body, just to ask some open questions and see what there's so much wisdom in the body. It wants to talk to us. (laughs) Well, and I love this too, because I'm such a linear dude so much of the time. And I'll watch things like my story machine kick in. Oh, there's a story machine. Well, I got to shut that dude down. <laughs> Mr. Story Machine, you're not helpful. Like, shut up. <laughs> Just like that, right? Linear dude. But what I hear you saying is, oh, okay, you got your story there. Well, what else is there? Don't mm-hmm. turn the story machine off. Maybe you turn it on even more. It's like, okay, what else is there? And then what else? You know, and, Oh, that's there. Okay, that's interesting. Look at that. And what else is there? And what does that bring up? And Yeah, or is there anything else there? Sometimes sometimes, sometimes the body doesn't want to say anymore if it doesn't feel safe. But, and is there anything else? Yes, absolutely. Can be a wonderful invitation. I love that. And is there any, that's, that's making a pre, it's a very inviting presupposition, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe there is and maybe there isn't. Mm -hmm. anything else but the more we start to talk to ourselves in that way Mm -hmm. the more we start getting information from the body and it always comes with a solution i really don't like how much i've been sitting Mm -hmm. could you take me for a walk (laughs) take me for a walk for god's sake i am noticing here margo because i think the clean language is kind of playful oh yes i think it's it's kind of playful and i listened to you talking about this spontaneous movement and it sounds playful. These two processes, one movement, one working with the story machine, they do not sound different to me. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, that left brain, it can be so linear. And it wants a story. There's refuge in a story for the, the left side of our brain. Loves, loves to know why, how, what. But it often disregards... Well, it, it's not that it disregards. It doesn't know how to process feeling, mm-hmm. just the feeling, sensation. I mean, we are still reptilian. You know, our our frontal cortex, whichever it seems to be getting all the prizes these days, it's like you're developing frontal cortex. That's great, but we still are, we still have this reptilian part of our brain that is spontaneous, and there's something really beautiful about that. It doesn't think twice. It doesn't overthink. It just responds to what's happening. And certainly, we've gotten ourselves into quite a pickle of just being so unconsciously reactive to each other emotionally. And then the behavior that comes out of that emotional reactivity. So I bless the frontal cortex, but I'm I'm also championing our reptilian brain. We've lost our spontaneity. You know, we've put too many shoulds and conditions on how we ought to behave. And I think if we just were able to tune in and listen to ourselves a little bit better and sit with what we notice, not reacting to it, just sitting with it, and then letting it emerge in a way that is safe, that's not 
explosive or going to injure anyone. Man, what a world we live in. I think it would be a really different world than the one we live in now. Usually, when I hear people talk about the reptilian brain, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, that lizard brain. And we're throwing some shade on it. Well, you know, it's just a lizard brain. It's just this instinctual, <laughs> lizardy, reptilian, you know, it's a reptile. And, you know, our thinking frontal cortex likes to think it's really in charge. I had a guest on the show recently say that our frontal cortex was like the guy in the driver's seat with the map who thinks he's like driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> but really, and this this is one of the things that, that, that was rather mind-blowing to me as a young younger person studying the triune brain and, and that actually the reptiles run in the show. The reptile is pumping your heart. Mm -hmm. reptile is digesting your food. There's all these unconscious processes. There's all this stuff going on down there in the brainstem. Like the lizard king is still running the show. Yeah. Now we have a commenter. We have a commentator. We got Howard Cosell <laughs> on the plays. And, and I love hearing you talk about this reptilian part. It doesn't overthink things because it doesn't think. It just responds. And hearing you talk about it with an endearing tone of voice. Mm -hmm. and in and, and a movement practice, it sounds like that maybe friendlies you up a bit with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it plays to the strength of that part of our brain. That sensing, noticing, responding. Mm, and Noticing, responding. Just like if, you know, if we, um, walk, a guy walks into a bar <laughs> and they've been having a fight in there, and my initial instinct is, I think I want to turn around and leave. But then this other part of my brain goes, no, you know, it's okay. You came here. It took all day to come here. You were really excited to be here. You, you would love to have that whiskey. <laughs> I think I'll just stay. And then we've just quieted that, mind, that part of our brain that's telling us, no. Not not the right time and place for me right now. But have we quieted it? No, we just told it to shut up. <laughs> and then it then it might get defensive in other ways, like I said, with the shoulders rolling forward and the back getting. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. 
I don't think the I don't think the reptile mind shuts up. No, I think we yes, I agree. I think we just shut it up. Yeah. We close it. And we do that with our bodies all the time. That well, we do that with our antenna. We receive information. We're transmitting information. And I think a lot of the time we're not paying attention to the information we're getting. Maybe because we're distracted with other stuff, but also we might not know, we might not have the resources to deal with what we're tuning into. And really, I think the, for me, in my work and in my practice, the biggest medicine has just been mindfulness practice, moving, coming to know this container of my body, its limits and its possibilities, exploring that through movement, letting it express itself. I feel so much more tuned in. I feel more tuned into my life. I feel more tuned into my practice with my patients. I feel more tuned into myself, my pets, <laughs> my pet, my cat comes and tries to open the doorknob to my room when I'm doing Dao Yin or Katsugen or yoga. He always wants to come in and he, and he tries his darndest to open the lever on the door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, in, in a door with a lever, a cat can open it. Yeah. They actually can. You know, they get their paws on it, then they push on the door. We, we have some experience with that with our cat around here. Well, when does he like to do that? Oh, well, when he wants to go outside, there, there's mm -hmm. that, or into the storage room because he knows there's cat food. But mostly, I mean, down in my clinic, I have these little sliding pocket doors. Um, whenever my wife is giving me cupping or gua sha, this is a cat that will never sit at your feet. He'll like sit on the couch with you, but like not too close, you know, close, not too close. When she's giving me cupping or gua sha, that cat like curls up on my feet on the treatment table. He's like, mm-hmm, uh, yep, I'm grooving on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, those, those critters have antennas. Yeah. And so do we. They, they just happen to listen to what they're receiving and respond to it. And we happen to ignore it. Or we're just not tuned in to listen to it. Yeah, they're no dummies. I suspect we have good reasons for ignoring it. Make me a list. <laughs> what are those good reasons to ignore it? Well, I was hoping you were going to tell me. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we've gotten scared of it. Well. Because it's so spontaneous. Yes. And, and so my suspicion is... We see something, we feel something, we say it in our family, and it's the thing that may not be spoken. Yeah. So, okay, don't do that. Or if you do it, don't say it. And, you know, if you notice it, don't say it. And, and, and enough of that over time, it may be easier not to notice. Or the culture says certain things. This is okay, that's not okay. I, I think there's a lot of reasons that we have, often self-protective to... It's like, God, can I please unhear that? Could I please unsee that? Could I please unfeel that? Mm. I think we have good reasons for that. And, and yeah, I suspect this touches in on trauma and all of that. I think, I think there's good reasons that we come by the troubles that we have. Well, humans are pretty terrifying. You know, when, when we respond out of emotional reactivity, we can cause a lot of harm. I don't know of animals who have that capability, you know, who have 
we can say things that really hurt each other. And we can also make weapons that are quite dangerous. So maybe that's why, maybe that's why we thought um, to quiet down that part of our brain that is spontaneous and responsive in the moment to whatever's going on. Maybe it's that uh, we recognize our power and it's, it's terrifying. So maybe we, I don't know, maybe we're trying to buffer ourselves, but we haven't done a very good job, have we? Even with all our frontal cortex abilities, apart from the ones of empathy and mm -hmm. compa that build empathy and compassion. Is that frontal cortex or is that limbic system? Uh, the empathy? Mm. Passion. It's frontal, yeah. Are you sure it's frontal? Sure it's yeah, not yeah. Frontal? Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. But now that I see that, I mean, I think, see, I'm not in the camp that I think um, humans are like amazing creatures compared to all the other creatures. I think all everything is consciousness. So I think, you know, a mosquito has probably as much conscious, uh, it is it is consciousness, not even that it has consciousness, but I think everything's sentient. So I don't know. Well, some of the sentient creatures are good tool users and others maybe not so good with tools. So there's that. <laughs> there's different levels to this. I, I, I want to come back to something for a moment. Jeez, we're on such a topic. I didn't know we'd wander into this. I thought we we're going to stay in the safe in the we're safe container containers and boundaries and how that aids <laughs> healing but you know here we are like way out in uh way out on the edge but i want to come back to something that you said that really got my attention about that reptilian part of us it doesn't think it just responds it doesn't make a story it senses notices response that's it no story sense respond like a snake strikes, right? Sense respond. And I don't like reptiles. And I think most mammals don't, and for good reason, because we were like lemur-like creatures at one point when there were like big dinosaurs, right? I, I think many of us have this like deep genetic, like reptiles danger. So I'm not crazy about reptiles. And so when we, when we think about and talk about the reptilian brain, I'm like, yeah, that damn reptilian brain troublemaker, you know, blah, blah, blah dominance, hierarchy, and yet I hear you talking about authenticity, noticing, not overthinking because you're not thinking, you're just responding, and, I, and I'm thinking, thinking. So one part of me is thinking, and, and yet there's this sensation I'm, I'm having inside my body, and the story I'm making is, yeah, the reptilian brain is like, thank you for noticing and appreciating. Mm. Thank you for noticing and appreciating. I keep your ass alive every day. I got your back like no one's got your back. I think those who, who attune to themselves would completely resonate with that same feeling, Michael. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. Thank you for paying attention. I mean, our, whatever you want to call it, our subconscious mind, our unconscious mind, our bodies are always talking to us, always talking to us. We go to the doctor. Doctor, can you tell me what my body is saying? Well, let's check the blood work and we'll do the blood pressure cuff. And, <laughs> and here, I'll tell you what your body's saying <laughs> and what it needs. But how are we doing with that? 
you know, then you go to your acupuncturist. Okay, now the body's coming into the conversation here. Mm-hmm. You know, we put a needle in. We're we're feeling. We're sensing the energy. We're putting our hands on the pulse. Maybe we're doing some hara diagnosis, or we're checking for asha points, or we're just doing some meridian therapy. Gosh, what does the channel feel like here? Soft and empty in some places, tight and ropey in others. But we're listening, and our patients know that. And what happens? I mean, you just told me you got a beautiful, delicious bottle of whiskey as an appreciation for how your patient feels when they come to see you. Mm-hmm. They feel something inside them is being listened to. They don't quite, we haven't learned ourselves in our culture. We haven't attuned to how to have access to our own energy. Thank God we have an acupuncturist who can, who's listening, giving feedback, pressing, putting needles in, drawing our attention to that place. And then we start to listen to ourselves. I think that is that is it, right? It's just when we begin to learn how to listen to ourselves, pay attention to ourselves, give ourselves love and care, and allow ourselves to be who we are. That's the medicine. That's that's the that's the juice. I want that squeeze because I want to drink that juice. <laughs> and if it I can tell you, Michael, of all the things I offer patients, so I have this little checklist when new patients come, and you may too, I'm sure many of our colleagues do that too, where it says, do you want food therapy, herbal medicine, acupuncture, massage, meditation? What kind of guidance I don't, would you I don't like? have a list. No. Well, I give them a list. You have a list. All right. Yeah. I can tell you the thing they check off the least is movement. So they come in with whatever it could be musculoskeletal neurological issue or could be digestive whatever no movement is not part of the medicine they'll want to take the herbs movement and counseling those are the two they don't want (laughs) or that they want the least of and to me that's so telling like we really have lost our own understanding of how important it is to connect to this container that is housing our spirit and our energy through movement. Many people enjoy getting massage, mm-hmm. but they might not want to do it to themselves. No, I'd rather, I'd much rather have someone massage me than me massage myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because when someone else is doing that, I can let my nervous system go into neutral. Yes. If I'm doing it myself, there's a certain amount of tension that must be present just to do it. So being able to go into that neutral, oh, that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that brings people into us. They, they go into this neutral space. Yeah. Not too much tension, not too little tension. They're, they're neutral. Yeah. Well, see, so that's on one end of the spectrum that I used to love that about my practice. Just come in, lay it all down. You'll be taken care of. Now I'm scaling that back. (laughs) Now I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, actually, if you get on the table, yes, lay it all down. But I am going to ask you some clean questions while you're on there to engage you. 
And like you said, you can let go of all the nervous system can let go when someone else is taking care. But now I'm seeing the value of scaling it back and going, I'm inviting you to keep some attention alive and bring it to yourself instead of falling asleep on the table, which you can do in a few minutes. But for now, here's an invitation to start to learn how to attend to yourself. Take your thumb and put it on this point here and give it a little rub. You can't fall asleep while you're doing that. You have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. That's kind of my shtick right now is, were we able to attend to how we're feeling? I'm probably repeating myself over and over again, but I think it's so important. When we're able to attend to ourselves and attune to ourselves, we bring care to ourselves. And then that care goes out to the rest of the world. But it's got to start here. It's got to start with us and then with our loved ones who are around us. And then it just keeps going out from there. So, yeah, I think our lizard brain has may have the... Um, they have our redemption in it if we just tune into it come back to the container at least invite it in so again I'm, I'm i'm back to thinking about the spontaneous movement that sounds like something lizard brain would really like oh yeah mm, yummy yeah <laughs> ice cream for the lizard brain in fact you know it kind of comes back to your question earlier michael where you were like how do i know you know, when I, if I want to do spontaneous movement, how do I know if I'm thinking a thought that's made? Is that spontaneous? I've, I've, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> yeah, well, thinking is like that. It, it, and it is kind of spontaneous, and thoughts are really curious, weird things. They kind of come, and they go. Anyone who meditates knows this. They come, and they go, and they'll often circle back again. Sometimes a thought is very interesting to us. And so we like hold it, grasp it, explore it like a gemstone. Ooh, look at that facet. Ooh, look at this. Look at that. Oh, it reminds me of this. Next thing you know, you're mm -hmm. thinking about dinner in France. Yeah, I would I love if we paid more attention to our bodies than our thoughts. Or not, not, not even comparison, mm. as much. Were we to pay as much attention, like, oh, look, you know, just like you said, with that thought, hmm, I'm just going to grab hold of that. But with that pain in the elbow, that's, that's interesting. Let me, let's check that out a little bit. Pay attention to our bodies at least as much as we pay attention to our thoughts. Uh-huh. So I, I know you're doing some classes and stuff, and you've been doing classes for a while because you're like <laughs> Miss Movement. I know you're an acupuncturist, but you're like, I always thought of you as an acupuncturist, except for the past few years where I realized, oh, acupuncture is like your cover story for the thing that you really love, yeah. which is movement. Do I have that right? I think what I really love is humanity. And oh. I have found that movement is a great portal, conscious, spontaneous movement is a portal to fostering humanity. And I feel an urgency now for that. Because for whatever reason, it feels like humanity is in jeopardy. And I do think that if we can 
Yeah, tune in. And movement is such a great way to tune into this container. We get to see its limitations. If I open up my arm, I get to see the possibilities that my shoulder has today in this moment. Might be different tomorrow. And then through connecting and bringing my attention to that place and the capability I have, the limitation that's there, I can start to investigate it. Is there a feeling? I can begin to ask some questions of that and get to know it better. So I bring more attention, love, and care to myself. And then from here, it goes out. Less judging, more curiosity. Yeah. And, and less fewer assumptions, too. All those assumptions we have about ourselves, just to let them go and go, is that really true? What's really true for me right now? So yes, I do have a lot of classes. <laughs> because, Michael, I do feel, like I said, I feel an urgency. And I don't know what else to do for the world but to get on the mat and start rolling around. And that sounds so dumb, maybe, or ineffective. Or what kind of, what kind of activism is that to get on the mat and roll around? But when I get on Zoom with my community, and we start moving, we start paying attention, we start sharing what we're noticing in ourselves, a field of love and care starts to really grow. And I think that's the most important activism I can do right now, so. Okay, a field of love and connection that grows. We could go into a whole conversation about why you think it's important to be an activist. Do you really wanna be an activist? And here's why I asked the question. I look at most activists out there, and they look no different to me than an evangelist. I've got the answer, and all y'all's better listen up, or you're going to hell. I don't see any difference between the activists and the evangelists. They're angry. They're pointing their fingers. They're belligerent. They're for sure that their answer is correct. So I'm really curious to know why you think you want to be an activist when you can love instead. Well, I kind of do feel sure that I have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the word is love. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go out. I used to, you know, I, used, I marched on Washington, did all lots of protesting when I was younger. And I was happy to get up in the face of a policeman put me there. <laughs> but I don't want to do that anymore. It has no resonance for me. I, mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to, I just want to love. I want to tune in. I want to release. A I still have a lot of conditioning that I want to let go of that has a lot of defensiveness in it. That doesn't mean I want to lay myself bare to abuse or anything, but I want to find a different path than the defensive one that I have and still be, still have boundaries, strong boundaries. But yeah, that's why I'm teaching so much is that's my activism. So you switched from using anger to using love. Well, I'm switching. <laughs> I'm still in process. Well, there's a place for anger. Anger is really helpful. So... We're, we're talking about boundaries and we're talking about having good and reasonable boundaries. 
anger is a very useful tool when it comes to boundaries because you yes. first have to be able to say no, and then you have to be a little more firm with no, and then it's in your face. I'm going to use this anger to get your attention because no, and it's it has its appropriate place. Now, if we hold on to that when we don't have a boundary to defend, all right, now there's a problem. But to not use anger when anger is called for, oh man, that gallbladder needs some work. No, I'm definitely, I'm down with anger. I think for me, historically, I've used my anger with a little hint of cruelty. And that's the piece that I'm working on is, mm. I don't think anyone would say I'm a cruel person, but I feel residue of it inside me. Mm-hmm. Still working on that one. But yeah, I think, I mean, all the emotions are amazing. It's really what we do with them. And just being more conscious, absolutely. And more spontaneous, too. They're part of our toolkit. Yeah. Use the right tool for them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when love is called for, don't bring the anger. It's not so useful. Yeah. <laughs> the tough love. Well, tough love is love. Yeah. It has a boundary. It's a boundary. Mm -hmm. And and I think it takes a big heart to bring tough love. Yeah. I'm not talking abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about control. It takes a big heart to bring tough love. Yeah. Well, to me, it acknowledges the strength of the other person. I'm inviting you to, to stand up for this. Here's my boundary. Can you meet me there? Mm. Can you meet me there and not run away or try to break it down? Wow. Yeah. Okay. We have teenagers. We're, they're, they're teaching us. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I know for myself, there's still parts of a uh, rebellious teenager that really just doesn't understand the world and is angry because... I don't understand the world and I didn't ask to be put here. But I think the hardest part is I just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. and, and so having someone around who is a trustworthy person who has experience and boundaries help, helps that part in me to uh, know what to do in the world. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's really, really helpful. So are you doing classes and stuff right now? What are you up to? <laughs> yeah, I do. I teach... Teach movement almost every day. I have a movement class. Authentic dentistry movement thing that you teach? <laughs> I do. I teach that. We have class on Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, is it online is it, or is it uh, in person? It's all on Zoom. It's all on Zoom? Yeah. I just started doing a pop-up yoga class on my lawn. That's in person. That's been so amazing to be out in nature. Talk mm -hmm. about, can, oh, that's a whole other conversation. So different to teach outside than to teach in a room, to teach movement outside. Well, you were talking about how a room creates a boundary and yeah. outside is a whole different kettle of fish. That sky is huge. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's been very challenging and I've been uh, learning a lot through teaching how to do that, how to set a container outside. But yes, I teach movement classes online almost every day of the week. And coming up in October, I'm launching 
uh, a course for East Asian medicine practitioners on working with Tao Yin. So working mm -hmm. with uh, classical Chinese movement and the sinew channels in relation to this concept of being spontaneous, in relation to this concept of getting to know who you are, self-cultivating your spontaneity. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> getting friendly with the lizard. Yes. Yeah. And I think the semantics there are really important. We call it reptilian brain. Most people don't like reptiles. No, I hate reptiles. They scare me. <laughs> we need to call it a different thing. But you know what? On occasion, I want to be a scary character. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, you just need to pull up like for your boundaries. I want to be a little bit threatening. Mm. Not that I mean or that I want to cause harm, but I want to be threatening enough to hold, have the boundary held. Mm. Maybe to bring up some of that reptilian energy. To... Yeah, I think that's I, I invite us to explore what our perceptions are about reptiles. Mm -hmm. Why are they scary? What's scary about them? They'll eat you. <laughs> That's a little extreme, don't you think? Well, we have this mammalian memory of being eaten by reptiles. Oh, okay, yes. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. It's a good name for a band, yeah. Eaten by Reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you acupuncturists out there looking for a punk rock band in and <laughs> Eaten by Reptiles. <laughs> That goes along with go. our TikTok, fuck you, I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't let all of our secrets out of the bag right Sorry, now. okay. <laughs> you can delete that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I will make sure that there is some intel over on the show notes page. So if folks are interested in developing their mammalian and reptilian sensibilities through movement, authenticity, and hanging out with Margot Rossi. Um, they'll be able to go there and find out all about it. Thank you, Michael. Great. Yeah, I think I need to pop into your eight o'clock. Yes. Wow. Sounds really, I, yeah, I, I uh, what is today? Seven o'clock central. Today is, is Wednesday, but I'm not offering class tonight because I'm going to celebrate my dear friend's birthday. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll catch you another time with that. Yes. Do come. I will. Yeah. And, and I'm all you listeners, I'm going to bring my reptile. All you listeners come, come, come as my guest at least once. Try it. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. You heard it here on Geological. Yeah. <laughs> Margo, I thank you. I always, I never know where our conversations are going to go. And I so appreciate your heart and your spirit and your inquisitiveness and um, just everything that you bring to this East Asian medicine and, and your own inquisitive spirit. It's, it's such a uh, generous offering that you, that you give to our community. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Back at you, my friend. Using our entire body as a kind of antenna, a way of receiving signals and information, along with some appreciation for that deep part of us that we call reptilian, that is also a resource for sensing and action without thinking. Rather than attempting to subjugate or control it, perhaps we can get on more friendly terms with it. After all, it runs our unconscious processes 
and that part of our nervous system and being, it's been here a long time. I'm rather intrigued with the idea and possibility of being on more friendly terms with that nonverbal part of what I call myself. It seems a bit like making friends with the enemy and in a world of increasing vitriol and polarity. Perhaps I should start with the polarities in myself first. And on the other side of the equation, Margot's thoughts on how we take refuge in the story, that hits home as well because we all need some comfort in this journey of life. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.